0: this week on the Faculty Factory Podcast.
1: Who knows, Instagram tweeting, <laughs> we start tweeting faculty. <laughs> no, they,
0: these are all good ideas. I mean, you know what you said, the webinars and the podcast and things like that, these are great ideas. Now, what we have to figure out is how do you get your um, faculty energized to use those um, kind of formats?
1: Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, friends. On today's episode, we have Johnson George, and Johnson is the Executive Director of Administration and Faculty Affairs at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston, the McGovern Medical School. Hi, Johnson.
0: Hello, Kim. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, so happy to hear your voice. Uh, how in the world is this move going? I know you left our our dear friend Kathy Pipitone and Patrick Smith at the University of Mississippi, and you moved on to, um, over to Texas, what, in Jan- just January? So you've only been there a minute. How's that going?
0: Well, you know, Kim, what is interesting is Houston was never in my map, right? So things happen, and, and things happen for good reasons. So um, this is I don't think this by accident but um, I was very very content and happy with Mississippi. you know you know Dr. Smith how encouraging is, how you know how he can motivate his team. and where I am today, um, I have to give credit to Dr. Smith for you know everything that he's done for me you know for helping me coaching through the process and, and mentoring me. he probably didn't realize he was mentoring me but uh, he was one of my informal mentors. But, um, you know, it's going well. Texas is new, it's, you know, as they say, everything is big in Texas, and so is the school. This is the largest, the biggest medical center in the world. So they have MD Anderson here, the Methodist here, so it's a whole street, I mean, you know, it's like a mile, it's all hospitals, and and the medical school right in between. A big research enterprise going on with MD Anderson. So this is the largest medical center in the world, so I'm really excited to be here. Wow. And um, yeah, I'm trying, you know, and it's slowly, you know, settling down, I mean, it's not easy. But slowly getting into the, uh, the, the, the groove of things right now. Yeah, that's what Texas is. It's hot. It's humid. <laughs> Houston is really humid. So we went through a little bit of flooding. At, uh, you know we, we didn't get anything flooding in our place, but there was some flooding in some areas. Uh, and you know, that, that's what Houston is. That's what they tell me. They got 13 bayous here in Houston. That's what, where the water flows out to the ocean, I mean, to the Gulf. Yeah. And once it cannot keep it, then it comes onto the road and everywhere else. It gets flooded. That's what Houston is, but excellent place, nice place though, yeah.
1: Wow. Now, I know you have a unique background, Johnson, I mean, many of us come up through you know, faculty ranks and your background started with an MBA and you have a lot of expertise in industry around project management, is that right? Can you tell us how you, you know, started off a career in industry and this kind of unique perspective or background ended up landing you in academic medicine, how did, how did that happen?
0: So my story, um, and I, and this is, I'm always, always really happy to share that part of that uh, story of my career. So I'm, I'm a computer science grad, and uh, so that's what brought me to this country. Um, I'm from India originally, so I got to the US, and and so I started my career in IT, and did that for a long time in industry. Like what I said, I think I don't know if many of our you know folks who are listening into it. Probably remember the two-way paging technology back in the 90s, and uh, I worked on that. Um, you know, some you know, not on the engineering side, but on the, you know, on the application part of it. So that was exciting days back then. And now we have, uh, you know, back then in that industry time, we, actually, foresaw everything that we're doing today. Uh, but unfortunately, that company then, you know, that, went belly up during the 2000s, and that forced me uh, to make a uh, change, a uh, transition into. Uh, in you know, program manager and project manager, which I was doing over there also. But then, what I did is, I went and got my certification in PMP, and uh, that landed me with University of Mississippi to uh, lead their ERP implementation. That is the enterprise resource planning. That's a big software that application that most of the schools use. You know, for your billing, or for your procurement, mm. for your financials. So I led that effort over there as their senior project manager and implemented that project. And uh, after two years of that. Um, I was uh, asked to go to Dr. Smith's office for a meeting with him to discuss a project. So I walk into his office and I'm talking to him as a you know, project manager trying to understand what he's got. And uh, through the conversation, towards the end of the conversation, he's, you know he makes an offer to me to come on to the faculty affairs part of the house. And that is my first exposure to faculty affairs. So I did not know exactly what this was all about. Uh, my, you know, experience was part of the uh, the IT part was in the academics, and then moving on, faculty affairs coming under his umbrella into his office. fairly new office at the time. Kathy Pipitone was, you know, her, and uh, um, and Dr. Smith. You know, it was exciting. So I said yes to him, and uh, so I got into that office as one of the directors, and we started working on improvements on different. You know, the good, the, the fascinating thing that I have to talk say, say about Dr. Smith is he brings cool ideas. I mean, he's a thought leader and you know and then he discusses those kind of ideas with his team members and then he gives autonomy for the team members to go develop on it and then you know work on it and that's what he gave me he gave me the autonomy and he you know he made me who i am he helped me grow into that role and uh, so there i am with faculty affairs and i loved it. every day of my stay there i enjoyed it uh, dr woodward the vice chancellor she was great i mean good leader and, of course, all the chairs that we had at the UMC. So it was a fantastic time of my career up there, and I learned a lot. And, of course, my best part of that life was getting to know GFA. Mm. And I tell people, you know, if there's no other organization that I know that can come close, any close to what we at GFA do and how we interact. And it's a community that is strong. That is bonded together, and we are there to help each other out. so that is what faculty affairs and that's where it brought me in and i and I'm still in love with faculty affairs, I'm still in love with faculty development um, you know that is something that that brought me into Houston uh, over here and and in everyone's stage of life, I mean there comes a point when uh, you know you want to grow a little more than where you are right now, and that opportunity is what got me to Texas. So, so that's my background. That's who I am.
1: Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that with us, Johnson. I I definitely share your your feeling and your sentiment about the GFA. I too feel like that is that is my family. Those are my people, my inner group, my the people who get and understand me. And so I, I'm totally with you on that. I, I'm really curious about the project that Patrick Smith interviewed you for in this of course, we all know him as a thought leader, as you said. And what was this wacky idea that made him seek out a project manager in IT, bringing them into faculty affairs? Can you tell us about that project? And then I'm curious how someone with your background, who's probably used to thinking in terms of products that are these amorphous, or as you were saying, these uh um, pagers, by, two-way pagers, and thinking about um, project management and flowcharts and and inanimate objects. How did you make that spiritual switch to including faculty and people and human beings and managing them? So, can you tell us about that project and how you made that kind of mental switch in your head?
0: Well, I think that that the project part of it was probably just. Uh, for him to get me to his office to talk about it. I mean, he didn't want to really tell me that it was an interview that he was going to have with me uh, for a position that he had in his mind. So uh, the project was, yeah, so <laughs> He's it's very kind strategic. Of a, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, but that's how we positioned it. And, and you know what it does is when you um, have someone walk into your office thinking it's not an interview, you you are your own, you're natural, by, because now you're talking and walking what you know about and, and you are speaking in the language that you know how to say. So it was all about technology, how I wanted to do certain things, and how I could get it. So it was more about information gathering, understanding what his needs are, and, and listening to the client. So from my perspective as a project manager at the time, my job is to listen to my client and see what is that they are asking, and, and not to actually provide a solution at that point. It is rather understanding what the needs are. And then the solution part comes at a latter stage when I can get back to my office and think about And put it all in a piece of paper, and and like what he said, the flowcharts and the diagrams and the process flows and everything, and see if it all fits together and if there's a solution that we can provide, which is uh, beneficial to him and and in a timely manner. So, but his goal is so one thing I have noticed with uh, Dr. Smith and and the office that I've worked over there is he had individuals from various different backgrounds uh, working in that office. So, uh, all my colleagues, they all, we were all from different areas of, you know, we, we brought different expertise to the table so that's how he formed his team and and which is really strong I mean it's quite unique for a leader to to form a team uh, to identify individuals from various backgrounds and bring them in and and he knew he knew what the future was looking like and he knew what the vision is and and what he did is he shared that common vision with all of us and all of us had the buy in from all of us and now we are all working towards one common shared goal and he was really successful in doing that so so given an example um, you know he actually drew an island uh, what he did is what is called a faculty life cycle so that's the first time I saw a picture of a faculty life cycle in a visual manner and uh, one of the things that I did is I looked at that now you asked me about how did I put humans into this where I coming from the technology aspect into the human part of it so looking into that' um, thinking about how each you know how we start recruiting a faculty. The, the time that you first make a call to a faculty as a potential recruit is when you have now started the conversation, and that's where the chart now starts moving. So from that point on, till they retire from institution, that spectrum is a faculty life cycle. So he had it like a island up there, and he had little palm trees and boats and, you know, different things up there. So then I converted that into kind of a more of a using video, a more of a graphical way of um, understanding each step of the process. So that was my first gig, a little bit of what I did with that part. And which I think, I believe it still hangs in our um, office up there. It's a big framed um, uh, flow chart that we did, that I did. And, and, uh, you know, we have used and shared with a lot of other Uh, you know, people across GFA, and they have seen that. So it actually gives you a clear understanding of each stage in a faculty life cycle, starting from recruitment through their career, the development, and then moving up different positions through the retirement. And if you had some problem, um, you know, individuals, then, you know, what do you do with them? And then the incentives, you know, what do you do or how do you uh, reward people and and how do they move up? So all the stages, uh, you know, that was my first, uh, you know, into that faculty affairs. But then he also made me understand the different things we do uh, within the faculty affairs world. It does not stop with recruitment, it does not stop with faculty development. It it is more of, you know, understanding who our faculty is and actually meeting their needs and helping them through the process, helping them keep satisfied and retaining them for the institution and and, and in benefiting both sides. So I got that part of it. And what I learned from it is a lot of listening skills, a lot of patience, and empathy. Mm. So that's what it is.
1: Well, I, I you definitely, um, kudos to Patrick for creating and building this environment and this culture because that's very clear. And kudos to you for having the 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 vision or allowing yourself the flexibility to to see that vision and make it work for you. Uh, You said three things that I think clued me into how an IT project manager works. And, And ironically, again, going to diversity, who knew when you bring different people around a table, you can come up with some great ideas. You said three things. I listen to my client. I want to understand the needs. Then I go back to my office and think about it listen understand and think and my gosh aren't those just kind of basic um, qualities that we should all just strive for listening seeking to understand and then actually thinking about it and coming up with a plan and not solving it at the on that moment so I, I love those I love I love that instruction to yourself and the way you explained how you you uh, project managed your own thinking into a new culture.
0: And, and it is true for everyone. I mean, we all have that. I mean, and unfortunately we just don't use that all the time. You know, sometimes we are too anxious and we act too fast and, and or sometimes we want to please everyone and we just go away that may not be the best path or the best solution for everyone. And I, I, and you know, I have been there too, you know, in my early days, you know, I really want to make a quick, uh, you know, you know, Solve something really quick, and you do that, but you ignore certain other elements. Um, you know that may have contributed to a better solution, and you just don't do that. And and that comes with experience, and and that comes with coaching and mentoring, and and wisdom that you get from other people and observing other teams. And and I've been really fortunate, Kim, um, to be part of the GFA because what I you know what it has done to me personally is I have seen so many leaders in GFA that have exhibited. High uh, leadership traits, characteristics which I want to mimic. You know, that's what I want mm-hmm. to um, develop on. And 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 it's not you know, it's not something they just speak and go. I mean, they really, truly walk that talk. Yeah. You know, they do. So it is you know, we see that every day. And I and and I really appreciate that all, those opportunities. You know, that's where I have learned, and and that's what I do now. And and one thing I've learned from uh, through my career in GFA and my work with faculty affairs is. It is not about receiving, it's all about giving, right? I think that's what we do, and, and we, we want to give, we want to share, we want to help, and that is what I have um, gained through my experience with faculty affairs. Mm,
1: love it. Love it, Johnson. Why don't you tell us, what is um, exciting and new and something you want to share with us? I know you've just been there a minute, but like, what's, what's going on there that's kind of intriguing you and getting you kind of um, excited?
0: So here's the thing, Kim. What? Um, so when I came here um, last, I was interviewed last December, um, and then I came and joined here in in January. So we had two separate offices uh, in 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 and uh, one was the office of administration, and the other was the office of faculty affairs. And they had two separate uh, directors there, and uh, different you know um, supervised structure and everything, and. What, so the two directors of those two offices uh, decided to retire at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that led both of them to actually think about what, what if they merge these two offices and, and uh, have, you know, combine the offices because there was a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of things they were doing the same, you know, same things they were doing but in different offices. So and, and information sharing was not, you know, probably was happening but it could have been more efficient. So they realized that. And kudos to them you know um, for them to realize there was a um, synergy that they could build upon if they did combine them and and for both the deans so i reported two associate dean one a, a senior associate dean and then an associate dean so the senior associate dean is administration and the associate dean for faculty affairs which he also holds multiple other hats as a vice president for the institution and things like that so that was a challenge and and uh, so they brought the the merged into offices, and now they went on a national search to have someone to come in, lead that initiative. And they knew um, it is all brand new idea and never tested. And uh, you know how it is difficult when you merge different companies or different offices, and then you have different cultures going on, or however it is. So, and then having a the third party, you know, from somebody outside, you know, coming from a whole different culture. Um, and, and coming here to, to lead that initiative, so that by itself. But you know, I was up for the challenge. I mean, that was the that was the best part that I liked was, I mean, I knew it was an opportunity for me to uh, take my own wings, and that's what I told Doctor Smith when I left there. I think you know, I've been uh, you know with you for a long time. You have you know really helped me out. But I think it's probably time for me to uh, be uh, take, you know to fly on my own a little bit and see how that looks like. Mm-hmm. So I come here, and, and so this office I have eight uh, staff uh, with me. Uh, and I call them every one of them. I call them my team members. I never address them by staff, actually. So I should not be saying that. But I mean, they are all my team members and my colleagues. And which is what Dr. Smith <laughs> taught me one day. And that's a different story and for another time, probably. Mm-hmm. But I treat everyone with respect. I mean, that's why I think tell them is, you know, you we treat each of us with respect. We may have different ideas. We may have different thoughts, but that's what we are. So one of the um, the cool things that I've seen here, and I can um, which. My experience with uh, UMC and other schools that I've read about or seen through our listserv is uh, for their promotions and tenure, for example, their um all the the school, you know, um processes them, they approve them, but then they have a university level committee that actually does uh, vet that process and and uh, they, they approve that list. They actually talk about them. So our dean goes and sits with the other deans of the other five schools. And they all have to make a case for their faculty for them to get uh, be a, you know a for tenure because the tenure is given by the UT system in Austin. So they all actually talk about it, and they talk about the promotion part of it. So it is just not the school level and the dean of the school approving it, but rather a much higher level, another layer um, from different schools coming together to make sure that those faculty who are promoter or those faculty who are being recommended for tenure, they truly deserve it. And they take time to, and they're invested. I mean, you know, these deans spend time. They actually look at those portfolios. They come prepared to come talk about those individuals, which I thought was fascinating for a school to do that, for a dean to do that, be invested, in, because they have other things they're doing. Right. But amid all those other busy schedules they have, they take time to do these kind of things, which is, which is fascinating. And then the other thing that I've seen here is, you know about GVMs. You know the are you know WMC part, but at um, at Megaone we have what is called a Women Faculty Forum, and this is a thriving uh, you know enterprise. I mean, kind of a small group setup, and and uh, they you know the the dean has been you know gives them money to do different things, and our office supports them, and that's another bunch of fantastic phenomenal you know. Um, faculty group that, that really is doing well. You know, they they encourage each other, they talk to each other. So that is another one that I've seen really successful over here and could not be without the help of the team members that I have over here because we just had our uh, annual um, meeting a couple of days ago and everyone was so happy about, you know, how it was all managed and taken care of. And we had two awardees. So we gave four awards to, you know, from, from each sector, from, you know, from the research, from the clinicals and from the education. So, you know, we had trade to place awards basically for them. And uh, so it was all very interesting. And and, and I've seen... Uh, and the other thing is, you know, this school, our school, does not. we don't own a hospital. So our faculty works at our other hospitals on the street that we, I was just talking about, like the Methodist or the, the Herman. I think that's where most of our faculty are. Memorial Herman is where it is. And uh, so we don't own hospitals. So it's very different, you know, how it all works. And then, Coming in on the administration part of it. So that's where all the finances and all the um, approvals happen. And of course, in the Faculty Affairs, you know, all our promotions and all our other things happen within others. So to me, it was a learning part. I mean, I have done budgeting, I have done other things within uh, UMC's Faculty Affairs, but this is a little, you know, much more broader than, much more deeper than what had been exposed uh, over there because you know pretty much everything comes through this office for a signature or for a waiver or a exception or whatnot so if somebody wants to travel somewhere uh outside the country and and during this times so when budget is really tight i mean so a lot of scrutiny happens and uh so the the departments have to you know get exceptions to that and, and it goes through this office mm-hmm. um and one thing that you know that i wish we and i you know have shared this with my deans also is for us to have a kind of a centralized database for the whole faculty which we don't you know you know some of the schools you know do have their own little you know, databases in their own offices and i think we belong into that kind of category where we maintain um, a set of data for our own purposes and then we depend on the central data for some part and not everything but those are opportunities you know the way i see that so it's got a mix of both. So there are a lot of good things we are doing. There are opportunities that we know that we can work on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that's where our focus is right now. Yeah.
1: Now, how do you get to... Do you have a, an explicit strategy for getting to know your leaders and your deans and your department chairs? I, I'm imagining you're reflecting a lot on, you know, how Patrick built the culture there at Mississippi. But can you um, talk us through... Your thought process in terms of okay, I'm the new guy in the block. Two beloved, longtime people in the office of faculty affairs and the office of admin are retiring. Things are new. I'm kind of being, you know, scrutinized here. How do I, how do I go about building relationships? Can you talk us through your thought process and how you have tried to um, learn the culture there and build those relationships with
0: those leaders? Yeah, and, and um, it, so it, it is difficult. I can, I can tell you that it's not easy. I mean, there's no magic bullet for that. Um, and I'm still, you know, building that connection, that networking. And I still haven't met all my chairs. And I'll tell you, you know, one of the reasons is uh, comparing the two schools. Uh, over here, like what I said, I think most of our faculty, they, they're not in the medical school. They are pretty much in their, if they're clinicians, they are pretty much in, in the hospitals. Or if they're researchers, they are in their labs, which may not be in the same building as where we are. So I have not met all my chairs yet. I met a few, and uh, you know that's how the relations are building. But it's mostly what I do is I have met with pretty much all my. Um, I know all my department administrators, which some places they call it department manager operations directors, or you know um, directors of all, you know different departments. And so I know them, and that's where my my bridges. They are my bridge to the to the chairs, mm. and and eventually I think I hope to get to know everyone. But you know what is fascinating is the recently I just had a new chair that joined us, and uh, I come to know she comes from a school that I have known for some time, and, and uh, some of our faculty from my previous institution, um, they are in that school, and she knows each and every one of them that we name. So we met the other day, and I said, you know. And I'm going to go set up a 50-minute meeting and, and go talk to her so that when you have those common elements, that it becomes a little more easier for, for us to bridge or to make the relationships happen and to build and cultivate the relationships. But more importantly, I think what I've uh, what we did here is I think uh, our team, uh, my two deans, they, they actually introduced me to uh, pretty much most of the institution, either through electronic or through different meetings where they um, have taken me along with them to represent them after that. So that has been great. And and if you can imagine uh, around sixteen hundred faculty, uh, 23, 24 departments, and then as many buildings as you can think about. Mm. So it's not easy really to get to every one of them. I mean, you're gonna, you are going to know some key players, which is what I have done so far, to identify those who key players are, who are the ones who actually makes things happen to know and get to know them, which I have done. And gradually in the next, you know, uh, twelve to eighteen months I should be able to get to know all my chairs and, and for them to know right now through the emails they all know me. Right. But um you know, but more importantly, I think, you know, I'll look at my DMOs. I think they're the, the key players. One of the main important um, you know, factors in anyone's life if you are in faculty affairs is you always depend on your department administrators because they're the ones who can actually get things done for you, whether it's faculty development or faculty affairs they're the ones who, who who really can get things for you. Yes. So um that said, I think I'm 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 on advantage on that part of it. But it'll take some time for me to get to know everyone within this, within this enterprise.
1: How many faculty yeah. do you have there?
0: I think it's approximately fifteen seventy five. Um that's how many we have. And then we also have I believe the volunteer faculty is probably around nine hundred if I'm right. I think that's probably mm-hmm. the number I'm looking at. Yeah, that, wow. that's roughly an amount. Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing is, uh, um, they don't, we don't do onboarding every two weeks. We do onboarding, um, you know, like we have a orientation uh, once a year for all faculty. And I know some schools do that. Yeah, we and do, some schools. Two. I was yeah, surprised they, to, to
1: learn that in Mississippi, it's like every two
0: weeks. <laughs> they and did it every two weeks. Prize. Yeah, they did it. And, and I think, you know, what that did is, every two weeks when you do that, you actually get to know each of your faculty as they're coming in, and which is probably an advantage to that that office actually up there. So when you do this once a year thing, um, it becomes a little more you know, challenging for you to know 200 faculty at the same time, you're gonna go in for a meeting, orientation, you're gonna go talk to them. Mm-hmm. How many do you remember after that? Yeah. But every two weeks when you do that, in a small group, and they always stick with you, and then you're gonna see them if you have your own hospitals, and you're meeting with them and, and doing them. Uh, so that is fascinating. You know, that is that is good, too. And and uh, now, you know, I also do consultations, um, you know, with the, with the faculty. So, if, you know, if I review their CVS for their individual promotions plans, so between me and Dr. Marano, who's my uh, dean over here on faculty affairs, you know, we manage that process. So he meets with them, but I also get a chance to review and probably make my recommendations. And sometimes I meet with one or two of them that I feel like, or if they ask for me, then I do that, too. Yeah. So this is interesting. So it takes time to build the relationships.
1: Yeah. Oh, I like I like how you said that the leaders there have made a concerted effort, of course, uh, politely and, and appropriately so, introducing you via email. And they've taken another step by inviting you to go to meetings and, and sponsoring you and introducing you and endorsing you and validating you. And, and that sends to me a very strong message. And it sounds like they're doing that on purpose. So that's another to me, and an indicator of a good... A healthy culture that they recognize that that's bi-directional that you just can't be left on your own running around trying to figure out who to meet and
0: um, how to operate so that's really absolutely good. and you're right I think it is very purposeful um, and and that's how it's always done here and I think I kind of like that too and and um, you know um, and to me I think that's something that all leaders should be doing I mean if you bring in someone on your team I think it's on the leader or somebody on the team to make sure that the newbie um, is introduced, is, uh, you know, gets to know people around it. I wish I did a little more better than that. When I came here the first or two weeks, I probably should have gone to all departments and met with everyone. Uh, but our time, so those two directors that I was talking about, they only had one week with me before they left. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of things that I had to learn from them. So it was all pretty much, you know, meetings and meetings and meetings. Right. Um, so we didn't get a lot of time to go, you know go visit everyone so those mostly either phone calls or through the uh, emails or though or maybe in a meeting that I would go there then that's when I get to see them or talk to them and introduce myself so, yeah
1: you said you're already doing consulting with faculty members about promotions are you hearing any themes or issues that are kind of lurking in the back of your head that sound familiar to you in, in terms of our every our annual PDC, our professional development conference, where we have the, what keeps <clears> you up at night? Are you starting to hear similar, like, similar refrains of, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard this before, um, or anything new coming up that um, you've been thinking about?
0: No, I think, you know, a lot of the um, the topics or items that come up will easily resonate with us uh, from GFA. You know, I don't think we have uncovered anything new so far. But, but what we, you know, do here um, is... Sometimes we get those accelerated requests, which means someone who wants to go a promotion earlier than their time, oh. and, and and sometimes it is difficult for them to understand. And uh, when a, you know, when I as a third party review the ECB, but those things I don't talk to, you know, I don't meet with those individuals. And and Dr. Uh, my dean, uh, you know, he will meet with them to convey that message, whatever it is. Um, and at times it's not easy. I mean, they may not, they may, they may not really understand what that accelerated means. So if you were to ask me and, uh, you know, if I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to say, hey, I'm a five-star guy and, and you know, I'm, I'm great in everything everything I'm doing. But then when when you look at it, you may have a whole different perspective to that. And you may say, Johnson, well, I see some gaps here and this is where there are some opportunities for you to improve. So if you wait for a year, you might be in a really good position to uh, to go off a promotion or a tenure. And, it you know, and, and sometimes the faculty will take it and, and they will. Um, they are thankful for that, and then they acknowledge that, and then they go back and come back in a year. And sometimes, maybe not many, one or two might say, "No, I want to push for it. I want to go for it." And then the results comes back as what we had predicted. Mm. And but again, it's a learning lesson for them too, as uh, you know. And, and they knew, they know that. I mean, knowing going in, they know uh, the odds are probably not in favor of them, but they still want to give it a shot. Uh, And see, because, you know, the committee is almost 15, 16 members there, so who knows how that's going to go through. And and this is a committee that really, really goes really deep. I mean, they study it very well before they come and try to present uh, their case or, you know, talk about the faculty they're reviewing. And that's something different that I've seen here compared to my previous institution is uh, faculty is assigned to a primary reviewer and then you have a secondary reviewer. And they are the ones who are actually presenting the case or you know, to the whole committee. Mm. And uh, you make the the committee then decides how in, in the previous institution, it was everyone was a primary viewer pretty much. And they voted on that. So um, you know, so I don't know which one is a better one. I, I, you know, so you could argue for either way. Uh, and this year, I know we have around 93 faculty who's going to for promotion and tenure. So it's a big number. It's a lot, you know, it's a big number. So asking 17 or 18 reviewers to go through 93 portfolios, it's not a simple task. I mean, they also have a day job. And so you have to be mindful of that. Um, but you know, it, it, roll- it's a,
1: is there a rolling um, or open application for promotion there, or is it only certain like times of the year where you have to submit materials?
0: It is actually happening right now. So we just closed the, uh, the the portfolio part right now. So the second phase of it, which is requiring the letters of reference, that's happening right now. So the deliberations will start next month.
1: So it is like a one time a year when people can apply. Right.
0: Okay. That is correct. And, so at and Hopkins, so it's all, people
1: can apply any, 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 any day of the year. Yeah.
0: The, of the, year. The, the only ones that we entertain any time of the year before that is for someone who is moving from instructor to an assistant professor. I think that is an ad hoc kind of process. It doesn't have to go beyond our office. We can approve that within yeah. our office. So it doesn't have to go for a full AP, FAP, you know, AP committee recommendation, things like that. But uh, it's it, it's interesting. And the thing is, our school, like every other university, is mandated by the university systems, you know, their bylaws and their rules and how they're all set up. And we have all in, little internal, you know, processes in place to you know, using the university guidelines. So we we, we are um, kind of tied as to how or restricted as to how much we can play with it. I mean, you know, university has given us their guidelines, so we gotta work within that. So it is interesting. Each one each is different. And Texas, as you know, has I think I believe that we have around 12 schools, 12 medical schools for the UT system. Yeah. So it's quite big. It's oh. quite big.
1: You, you know what? I, I, ha- I can't understand this. So kind of switching tracks here a little bit. How in the world is a faculty member at Houston, I'm envisioning it like, you know, the strip in Las Vegas. They're going to go work at McGovern Medical School but then they're just gonna go walk up and down the strip at all these hospitals and say oh, I'm gonna go work there. And they have to negotiate <laughs> their own like appointment at a hospital, so you said you know, your faculty, in they're, the, they're in the school but they all work at different hospitals. How does that logistically work?
0: So it, it's fairly simple actually. So it's all, in, it, it's like what he said, it's like at the Vegas strip, right? I think it's almost like a mile and Memorial Home and it's all interconnected though so uh, and when the faculty comes in uh, you know when we appoint them they know where they are practicing if they're at the Memorial Home and or whichever hospital is the children's or whichever hospital it is they know where they are um, and and uh, most of our clinicians you know they they probably are spending 90-95 percent of the time at the clinics where they were there and then, of course we also have as you know Houston is a really big city fourth largest in the country and uh, so we have uh, locations or clinics outside of the uh, Houston area so you go 20 miles. We have clinics over there, so we have faculty serving over there. And uh, you go uh, 30 miles, 50 miles out. We have clinics over there, so it's, it's spread out everywhere. So you have UT physicians' offices across, spread across the, um, the Houston metro. So our faculty is everywhere, but that's where they are. So when so you get an start, appointment, they
1: start by identifying the clinical practice <clears throat> site. And
0: that is then correct. each so, of
1: those sites have an affiliation with McGovern Medical School.
0: Our fact, all our all those appointments are in, uh, in fact at McGill Medical School. All the faculty appointments are at the Mc, Mc, uh, McGowan Medical School. Yes.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's where it is. Yeah, in fact, I think I was. Uh, I think we had as far as I think sometimes we have folks as far as hundred miles out from here. You know, um, serving in some other hospitals, or helping or consulting, and things like that. Because again, like what I said, I think being in this uh, medical center, they call it the Texas Medical Center of this area, and uh, being in TMC, having access to uh, different MD Anderson and different other places and research facilities, it is, a, it is you know, advantage faculty, literally advantage faculty, because now you have world-class, you know, everything that you can think about. And, and uh, so if you're a researcher, if you're a clinician, if you want to do, you know, if you want to do Oncology, or if you're into cardiac, I mean, do you, you name it? You know, um, they have it, and, and in fact, I think if you look at the, the, the grand money that uh, MD Anderson gets, and um, in our school gets, so it's pretty decent amount that they they rake in that bring in here, our faculty brings in here, yeah. and they have many institutes that have to go along with each department. So there are neuroscience, or there are immunology. You know, there there are different ones. I so, mean, you know, many institutes that go along with it, and it's still growing. It's still growing. Oh my gosh.
1: I can't yeah. even imagine the logistical nightmare of trying to organize faculty development seminars and workshops and leadership programs where I mean I'm thinking at Hopkins we have 6 hospitals and we have some you know some satellite clinics here and there but that's nowhere near as big as Texas, it, it, so I can't imagine it, it, the whole. Well, where do we have it? This, it's not even like which, which, which building should we have our meeting in? In a right. ten mm-hmm. block radius, it's like which part of the city? I mean, that is just so complicated.
0: It, well, I haven't even touched on that yet. I think you know the faculty doesn't part. So that's something that I've um, got my one of my goals is to have something going on this year. As part of my leadership goal is to get that going. And like what he said, I mean, you know, you start thinking about the logistics of that. It is not easy, but however, we do have uh, certain programs that are done at the institutional level, and um, you know, the faculty who or something they're given time to come and participate. So that's done in you know, close to our school um, in the TMC, the Medical Center area, in the you know, our main office, and uh, so people do come for that, and and uh, it is interesting, you know. If you have to go give a faculty development seminar or a series or a speech or whatnot to one of the hospitals, you really don't go to the hospital. You basically ask the faculty to come here and, and to the medical school or to one of our common facilities to do that. Um, and grants writing for our basic science, it all happens within the medical school or the medical center, you know, one of our HR buildings, the big buildings up here. So it is possible to do it. It's just, you know, trying to figure out the logistics as to right. how and when we can we do it. Um, And it's going to be interesting, you know, as as, as I get closer to it, uh, it is going to be interesting to see how it all maps out and plays out. And I'm hoping everything that I've learned through my process engineering mindset can help me map it out. And and plus, there are folks over here who's already done those kind of things. So I'm not going to go reinvent the wheel, rather go and depend on them to help me navigate through those shots.
1: Yeah, I imagine you're going to have a lot of thought around delivering content electronically. So, you know, snippets and webinars and just recorded sessions and, who knows, Instagram tweeting. (laughs) We start tweeting faculty. No,
0: these are all good ideas. I mean, you know, what you said, the webinars and the podcast and things like that, these are great ideas. Now, what we have to figure out is how do you get your um, faculty energized to use those um, kind of formats? Right? I think they're already there. It's already there. You make it, you develop it, you, you deliver it. But merely delivering it doesn't meet um, you know, what your expectations. You really want participation in that. And how do you engage your faculty into that kind of environment? And that is going to be something that I have to think about and, and work with my other collaborators, my other team members, or my other offices that I know of that are already doing things like that. Um, I know the education office is very much involved with that because we are coming up for our L T M E uh, accreditation sites, we uh, sometime early next year, and uh, you know that's something they've been working on for for a long time right now. So mm. uh, that's why I said I think I can depend on you know I can go to them and ask, seek their advice, and that's uh, to see how they have done and how they have delivered their content and put and increase their participation from faculty.
1: Did you just say your LCME is next year?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's coming oh. up next. We just finished our mock site last uh, this week, and. Uh, we're gonna come up with our uh, the real one uh, early next year.
1: Oh my gosh! Talk about trial by fire. You we know, welcome to University of Texas. Oh, by the way, did we tell you?
0: LCME is hey, uh, around you know, the corner. You know, th- th- that's what keeps it going, right, Kim? I think you know every time you learn something new, something new to try out. And and I did LCME with Mississippi also, so this is not the first time. So I was also helping over there, and I was you know blessed to be part of there work up there, and uh, I think, you know, I believe uh, UMC is also doing there I'll see me next year. So, uh, but this was an opportunity that I gained from there. I mean, I got that experience, and I come here, and then, you know, you can just walk in there and, and see what it is. I mean, you just know what the standards are, and you're looking for that specific information, and trying to make sure you understand what they are, where they are, and answer the questions that's going to come up to you.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then SACCIOC is coming up shortly, too, so we have two two of those coming up. Wow. Yeah, it's all interesting. This is good work. I mean, this is nice. I mean, I love it. I, I really, t- truly enjoy. And and you know what, Kim, I got to um, give a you know, shout out to my team members too. I think each and every one of them, um, knowing they were all different offices, you know, two separate offices, they, can, they have jailed well, they have come together and they work really, really collaboratively, which is fantastic to see. And I have mm-hmm. seen them grow. And I, I think I mentioned this to my team members the other day. I said, I, I don't, I said, uh, I don't, Know if you all realize how much you guys have grown in the past few months that I've been here. That I've seen you guys, you know, mm. taking decisions, coming up with solutions, helping them grow into it. Mm. Um, and that is where I find my satisfaction. When I see them um, grow into that, that is where my satisfaction comes in. It's I don't need anything else but that. You know, um, okay. to me that is fantastic. When you when you empower your team members, when they do things, and when you ask questions, and they are asking questions. And now you have to go find the answers for the questions, and if you don't know that. Uh, and then that gives us that dialogue. That discussion happens, and which is fantastic. So in my office, I have this, um, you know, I don't know if you've seen those, um, the glass things, but you can actually write on those glass things. So in my office, I can write on my, my glass walls. Mm-hmm. So someone from outside, when they come in, they can see it's all scribbles on my walls, actually. So everything is in blue and black. So oh, it's basically God. all the process, you know, it's all the projects that, have, that we are working together or the process flows that we have drawn together or chartered together. So it's all up there. So, you know, this is how we work. I mean, when they come in, I give them, you know, they take one of my, uh, you know, those you know, those uh, markers and then we start drawing, we start talking, we start charting things and and uh-huh. uh, puts our thoughts in there. And this is fantastic. I mean, so we come up with solutions
1: creative. This is great. So you've yeah, you come mean, up with your own um, infographic <laughs> island.
0: <laughs> that I'm not sure of, because I think he's perfect at that, I and mean, I can tell you that, I mean, that faculty life cycle chart, I mean, that is perfect. I mean, I don't know if I can add anything more to that stuff. It is beautiful up there. Uh, yeah, the thing, I think the chart that he's got, it's, it's really fantastic.
1: Well, it sounds to me I mean, like you, you, got, know, you got a concept there with that miracle mile of hospitals and the the strip concept, the Las Vegas strip concept, I think you got something that you could percolate there.
0: Yep, but probably could, probably could, probably could, yeah.
1: yeah. I agree with you, I think there's nothing more rewarding than when you show up to work every day with people you know who whose hearts are in the right place, when they truly care about the faculty members, that that is their their blood, they just love to, help and they have those hearts of service and and they they truly they believe it they they eat the mission they they just love it and there's nothing more rewarding than just sitting there and listening and watching the light bulbs going off and people who just just want to make a difference and really really love your faculty it makes it feel so good
0: it does and you know the the best part is when you see those faculty coming back to the, the team members and really thanking them for their Work that they did or helping them get through the promotions it's it's phenomenal. and I know um so this time when I came for the GFA pdies in July, I had one of my team members to go with me from this office, and that is the first time she had ever attended a professional conference, um you mm-hmm. know GFA conference and to to see the light and and to see the joy in her, um knowing that there are mo- many more like her uh, oh, yeah. in this, you know, in this GFA world, um, and, and uh, it was really nice. It was really, you know, it was a self-satisfying time for me to see, you know, how she enjoyed it and uh, making the networking and getting to know people, getting to talk to people and understanding. All of us are struggling probably with the same kind of uh, issues, and, and we are all trying to figure out what the solutions are, and that is not an easy one. So um, it, yeah, it, so that to me brilliant. was one of my, Yeah. No, that is one of my highlights. I tell people all the time, it's not for anything else, but that by itself is a great thing.
1: Yeah, when people recognize each other, at least by, oh, you know, you understand me, you see me, I see you, I get you, I know, I know the life you're living. It's so comforting right. to you're... know that you're not alone in this. So, totally right.
0: Yep, Yeah.
1: Well, Jonathan, right. so... this, is, this is great. Is there anything else you wanted to share with us? Um, the faculty affairs, faculty development family out here listening to um, you today.
0: Welcome. Thank you for the opportunity that you, um, you know, that you gave me to share some of my thoughts and and uh, some of my life experiences in this faculty affairs, faculty development world. And one thing that uh, I would encourage anyone within our, you know, domain, you know, who works in faculty affairs, this is a job that uh, many times, you know, sometimes it's a thankless job. I mean, we do things and then. We just go about doing the next thing. We just go out and do the next thing. Forget about those things, but, you know, keep doing what you're doing as long as you're passionate about doing the work that you're doing. I mean, it is, you know, at the end, you know, when it, when it comes time for us to leave everything back, I think you will look back and say, I have done my job well, you know, and, and, and to me, that is the most satisfying thing is when you see our faculty walking down the lane somewhere and they come and talk to you you may not know them but they make they may come and recognize you and say yeah. hey thank you very much for helping me with that I mean you don't know what you did but they, that has led them to a different path and, and higher grounds so, I mean so that is fantastic and phenomenal so keep doing what you're doing GFA is fantastic and then Kim again thank you very much for the time uh-huh. and and inviting me to the podcast
1: Well, thank you for reminding us of that that really meant a lot yeah you're exactly right thank you for the reminder that um, even if it's one little fish Um, We we are making a difference. And we just keep pushing. And we have to listen. In Johnson George's words, listen, understand, and think. I love that. (laughs) Well, thank you, Johnson. This has been wonderful. And folks, um, tune in next time to the Faculty Factory Podcast. Spread the word. Talk to you later, everybody.